I chose the subject of fatherhood to uh, address you, thinking that uh, uh, Ben is having his uh, uh, paternity leave, and Jerry, you keep producing those wonderful children <laughs> that make him a father <laughs> once and again, and then for the third time. I have been a father also. Uh, we, Diana and I have four children, uh, and um, they in turn have produced 13 uh, grandchildren. So uh, I'm an apprentice father. Uh, I came to Christ uh, in the middle of my life when I was 33, and I brought in all the baggage that a sinner who has lived an intense life uh, in a number of countries and ways uh, can bring. So my poor children, I think, grew up with a, a sinner that was just barely uh, shedding a lot of the old men's ways. So they were the victims of my uh, Christian youth childhood, really. Um, and I continue to grow because God changes us throughout our life, not just at the beginning of our life. Um, and that is when I discovered fatherhood, maybe too late, uh, after my children were already past many of the stages of childhood. I had to be learning step by step uh, from the Word of God, and also from a very wise woman that I married, uh, Diana, who has taught me the majority of what I know about fatherhood and also about other things. So that is my testimony, and it is from that testimony that I want to share with you. I spent time preparing theologically and, you know, in various ways, and I discarded two or three uh, of the initial multi-page drafts. <laughs> um, some of them I save for some other time and some other purpose. But um, would you, family, some of you new family, some of you uh, known family, um, I just want to share um, what I think to have the Lord's permission to share on fatherhood. And I would like to begin... Uh, Fred, if you would give us the scripture that I chose, 1 John, just to center us on the word of God. Let me read it with you uh, or for you. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's John speaking in his old age. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 
I've been in that purifying mode for about 40-some years since I came to Christ. And believe me, I have a long, long way to go. In fact, I know I'll never get there in this life. But he will hold me fast, just like we sang. And he will not let go of any of us. Um, so he is our hope. So to talk about fatherhood, I thought we should introduce uh, the topic by talking about God's fatherhood, um, from which we derive that sonship that John is talking about. God is our father, I feel, um, from reading the scriptures in three different ways. First, he creates us. He's the father of every uh, human being that ever existed um, because he is the giver of life. Now, scientists can bring together gametes and hope that life might occur, but they can't cause it to occur. They don't give life. Only God gives life. So each of us is the fruit of an intentional, specific act of God. We're really a miracle. If an act of God is a miracle, then we are that miracle. The fact that we're all here gathered together. So he creates us. Then he also begets us as his spiritual children, his sons, with the new birth, being born again of the Spirit from him. So that's how we are his children, really. Because the natural creature that he creates is unfortunately affected by the sin of the first parents, Adam and Eve. And so is born separated from God. Needs a new birth in order to be alive to God and to be his child individually and eternally. And then the scripture says to us that he also adopts us. And I've asked myself, Lord, what do you adopt? And I don't know, this is not a doctrine, but it's my opinion that he adopts the rest of us, the human that we already were before we were born again, our soul, our mind, even our body. And he brings transformation, right, of our mind, the redeeming, the healing of our soul, the healing of our bodies from time to time. Uh, he does that. So he adopts us. He says, you are mine. Totally. All of you. Leaves nothing out. So, God is our creator. Uh, and of course, creating is an act of love. The Bible opens with an act of love. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, God is love. That's an act of love. And everything that follows, an act of love, an act of love. Every act of God is an act of love. But very specifically, even in that first chapter, he says, let us make man the human being in our image, after our likeness. So he makes us to represent them, to look like him to, in a certain sense, be like his delegate over the rest of his 
uh, living creation as we see in the following chapter. But God has also loved us as that Redeemer, the one that we sang about several of the songs today, so beautiful. Uh, he gave his life for us. The Father sent him, that's an act of fatherhood, to send his son to get the other sons, the rest of his sons, the missing sons, us, uh, to get us back home into the family first, where we are now, and home, where I'll soon be. Uh, look forward to that. Um, and then, of course, there is spirit that sustains us, the Holy Spirit. We would not be able to sustain ourselves. He will hold me fast, indeed, or I would slip right into hell where I deserve to be, but for his mercy and his love. So, those are the acts of love uh, that I detect in the fatherhood of God. Fatherhood itself is a love bond. Um, for God so loved the world. It's all about love. He is love. And so, um, sonship, the fact that he makes us his sons, is what he wants us to be. It's the relationship he wants to have with us. Um, so, Fatherhood, his and ours, the human fatherhood, is an intimate, a family relationship. Therefore, we, his children, can approach him with confidence. Daddy, daddy. The, the Indians, I've prayed with Indians in a few places, uh, and in Bolivia, for example, I remember uh, they pray, daddy, daddy. That is how they pray. Uh, they uh, Approach him boldly, with confidence, safety. We, we don't fear God in the sense of being afraid of God. We have reverential fear of the Lord because we understand he is God. And we are not God. We are creatures. But we come to him with confidence, with love. We uh, confide in him. We we tell them our hopes, we tell them our dreams, our fears, we tell them our desires, our wants, our needs, everything. He can take it. So, uh, fatherhood is an individual specific relationship. Uh, it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship. He is our personal father, not just our collective father, like the, the people of Israel. They knew God was their father as a people, but it is different. When Jesus says, my father and your father. When you talk to God, talk this way. Our father who are in heaven. See the intimacy, the connection is very personal. God is very personally interested and invested in us. He loves us. Uh, so, what do we get from that sonship? Well, I think the most important part is that we get an identity. We are children of God, and so we are, it says John in his letter. Uh, and uh, that identity uh, tells us who we really are. Now, we live in this world, a material world, 
And so we are subject to all the circumstances and experiences, to time and space and age and limitations and everything in a material world. But ever since we accepted Christ, we received a new life, a spiritual life, an eternal life, true life, abundant life. So it is as though we had a foot on each of those two realities, the material temporarily just for a season, mine is not for long, but I have that eternal relationship with God. And my destiny is not to die here. That's just a rite of passage. My destiny is to live with him forever. And so is yours, every one of you who has trusted Christ. So, uh, that identity of being a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, uh, is the biggest gift, I think, that comes from God's paternity. But we also get what a father gives, which is a covering. A legal covering, a spiritual covering, a real covering, um, because we can count on him to protect us. We can count on him to provide for us, sometimes lavishly, and we, but, but always sufficiently. And we can count on him to love us, which is the biggest miracle of all, to be a recipient of God's love it is the most transforming experience there can be. I remember when I found out that he loved me. It was on March 8, 1979. We had gone to a dinner where they talked about religious stuff. And in the course of that evening, as I watched that black lady sing songs to Jesus, and her husband played the piano. And I observed it all. This was so weird. Uh, the persuasion that this was reality and that somebody was knocking at the door became mine. And so when she made an offer for anybody who wanted to receive Christ to go forward, I didn't because nobody did. And I was watching everybody else. Chicken. But when she lowered the, the bar and she said, if you need anything, everybody get up. I got up right with them. But what happened to me that night was different from what happened to most of the rest of them because I received faith. I received Christ, and I became drunken with love. You know, it's possible to be drunk with love. Uh, to have a sensation, physical sensation, of being so loved that you just can't fit within yourself. So I remember leaving that hotel. Uh, I was dancing on the way to the car. I was so happy to have discovered that I was loved like I had never been loved before. Certainly like I had never deserved before, I never do. 
Uh, we don't deserve God's love. It is a gift, a lavish gift from God. He loves to give. He's a giver, a lavish giver. He gave the very best he had, his only son, for us. That tells you the kind of giver, the kind of lover that God is. So, we get discovering uh, identity, covering, and a third point is that we get his inheritance. Uh, everything that is mine, I give to you. I remember a martyr, Julio, Julio Ruibal, a Bolivian fellow who died at the hands of a cartel in Colombia because he wouldn't yield the land of the church to them. They killed him. And uh, he told the story of being a hippie, like I was once a hippie, uh, in Berkeley. And uh, he became a Christian. It was the Jesus movement, uh, that era many years ago. And uh, uh, Julio gave himself to the Lord completely. And one time, he felt that the Lord said to him, Julio, would you give me everything you have? <laughs> Julio said, Lord, I've given you everything I have, and all I have left is my clothes and this satchel and my sandals, and that's it. Uh, if you want them, I give them to you. And he felt that the Lord said to him, if you will give me everything you have, I will give you everything I have. And that is the biblical truth. We shall inherit the earth, his children. That's our inheritance prepared for us to be given to us for his purposes, of course. Now, a little bit about human fatherhood because I see a bunch of you that are fathers and you keep being fathers and your children keep growing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing uh, to see. Fathers represent God to their children, and to their spouses, to their house. They are the priests of that house. We, fathers, represent God. We instruct our children and our household, and we discipline when it's necessary. Uh, so that means that we ourselves need to be under authority. Because if you are not under authority, then you cannot exercise authority over others. So, first step, get yourself under authority and keep yourself there, which is uh, sometimes harder. So, as the spiritual heads of our house, with our wives, of course, our spouses, we must lead by example. Um, now, being a father and being a mother are two very different things because maternity is a biological thing, it's a physical thing, you can see it. Uh, happening. And uh, fatherhood is a moral thing. It's not born out of our body in a very tiny contribution, of course, in seed form. But the reality is that the bond between every baby, uh, your newest, Jerry, uh, and you, is practically umbilical, even though she's already out and doesn't need that umbilical cord. But it is the bond that is extremely strong, and it's lifelong uh, with your children. That's the way 
mothers were designed to be, and they're that important to all of us. Fathers, on the other hand, have to make a choice. It's an act of the will uh, to uh, grasp the reality and then learn to walk in it. I was a complete and total zero when it came to fathering. I had no idea. I didn't want to be a father to begin with. Uh, I never thought I could possibly make a father. Um, so uh, he had to persuade me. Uh, and I remember the time when I surrender, and I said, okay, I am a father. <laughs> that was a re- an act of repentance <laughs> from not wanting to be, from my rebellion, my deception, my uh, you know, confusion that I was walking in. So you have to want to be a father to become a real father, a godly father, a father after God's own heart. And it's not a one-time decision. It is a repeated and a constant choice. You have to choose the privilege of fatherhood. You have to choose to receive the grace that comes with that privilege. And, ah, how terrible if you don't receive the grace, because without the grace, you're going to be a terrible father. (laughs) We need God's grace to make up the difference between our total imperfection and his love for our children and for our wives who desire nothing more but a great father for their children too. Our children need us and our wives also need us to be the fathers those precious children she had the father they need. The only one that can enable imperfect people like us is God. Therefore, with the acceptance of the call comes the provision of grace from God to each of us. Now, I have a couple practical suggestions uh, for you uh, guys. But, girls, you can gain from these suggestions because many of them involve you. And even if you don't have any children, someday you will. And someday you might need to work at helping that poor fellow who marries you to become the father, the man, the Christian he wants to be. But he needs your help. That's why the Lord gives him a wife, because he needs her. Uh, to attain to that uh, position in Christ that God has for us. Um, I once asked the Lord when one of my children, I forget who, was very little, Lord, what do I do? Because, you know, we guys are spectators. You ladies get pregnant, have all those nine months, deliver those babies, an unbelievable miracle, which I witnessed four times, Uh, I attended my wife's births at home. But what do we do then? I mean, she's all about the baby. The baby's all about her. And we are shut out. There's almost nothing that we can do. Bring the hot water. 
something. But, you know, uh, and so we begin as strangers, practically. And then we have to cultivate that relationship. So I asked the Lord, Lord, I said, what do I do to love this kid? And the Lord very wisely put in my heart the answer, give him a happy mom. So I realized my job is the mom. She would make a baby happy. She's got all the equipment. But so that really helped me mightily, not only with that one, with the other ones, because uh, this is our job is to make our wives happy. Happy from God's perspective, giving her what God wants her to have, which is a godly husband to begin with. Uh, no woman is going to be happy whose husband is, you know, a reprobate because she'll be living in hell, especially if she's a Christian woman. So, now, a happy mom has practical consequences. Sometimes it means let her sleep. So, I learned to let my wife sleep sometimes. Some other times it means uh, send her to be with her mom or invite her mom to come and stay with you. That makes her happy, gives her help that I'm not skilled to give. In the course of life, during the course of the day, give her a call. Let her know you're thinking of her, you're present. Um, bring her a treat when you come back from work. Schedule a regular break from junior for her. That makes mom happy. Or from the tribe, if you have many like we did. Um, listen to her tell you about her day. She has spent her day interacting with two and three-year-olds. What she's going to tell you about is very important information about her, about how she feels, what she discerns about your growing children. That is your main connection to your inarticulate children before they can speak themselves is her constant observation of those growing little people. So... Uh, uh, there's so many other ways which I'm sure you young husbands know and you older ones too even better do the shopping, do the laundry, clean the house help with the cooking do her praying for her she may be so tired that she has very little energy left for her devotions and for uh, the regular Christian disciplines supply your turn uh, Wonderful thing for her. Make sure she gets opportunities for Bible study, for fellowship with her Christian friends, um, time with God, time alone, uh, sufficient sleep. Take her out on a date. Uh, she's still married to you for life. Bringing up young children is a season, but marriage is lifelong. And so... Um, Get a babysitter, invest a little uh, in whatever makes her happy. Maybe a gift, different things. Um, 
find ways to be considerate. Here's a new one I am learning. Sit on the toilet. Ah, what a great discovery. Something I can do quietly, secretly, for my wife. That blesses her in ways that she doesn't even realize. But I do. So what is the big deal? Does it cost me a lot? No. But I think I get God's pleasure when I do that. Uh, so I'm being a little extra frank here. Now, <laughs> now there are other things that you, I think, should do. Pray about certain things that we don't always pray about. Uh, must your standard of living require mom to work? That's a big one, important one, costly one. What is the standard of living that God would prefer for you and your household? Especially if you're not married, you need to be considering things like that. If you're down the line, well, then you're down the line. But those things require prayer. Um, then, <clears throat> have you consulted God about how many children he wants to give you? They're his children. Children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the world, his reward. The children belong to the Lord. We are instruments. And we need to be conscious, willing, sincere, transparent instruments of the Lord. Um, how are, we, are you working to detox the children you're sending to that godless school? Where they're being taught as the God is nothing, doesn't exist, doesn't, has no relevance. Well, that is going into your children. And generation after generation, it's having an impact. Look at the state of society. You're going to see the results. So what measures are you taking? How is God leading you and guiding you so that you might uh, compensate with the truth? about those things. You have to. You cannot be irresponsible to just release your children to the yellow bus without paying attention. How can you better love your in-laws, your own parents? How can you help your wife honor her parents? Are you prepared to take care of them in their old age? These are important questions of our Christian walk. As fathers and leaders of our families, we need to be considering them. Um, can you possibly live closer to them to be more available? Early on, there is a benefit to that in that they want to be with your children when they're little, but after a while, it reverses and they need you. Uh, because they decline in health. That is life. These are not things that are often talked about, even, I think, among us in our Christian circles, uh, maybe in the intimacy of friendship. So, remember above all, 
that parenting is a, is a two-person job. And therefore, if God has given you help meet, please listen to her. She has equipment that you don't have, not only for breastfeeding, but she has a sensitivity that is unique to women and men don't have. Their emotional intelligence is far more developed than ours is. Uh, and it's just the way the Lord designed the human. Uh, and so take advantage of that helper that God gave you and um, uh, listen to her. Uh, because she may not have exactly the right idea, but God does. And so whatever she's telling you, take it to the Lord and get it from him in the way that he wants you to know it. You're a partnership. You need one another as husband and wife. And finally, I'm going to end uh, with a couple of scriptures. Um, I think this is the silver bullet that kills this new monster uh, that we're hearing a lot about lately called the patriarchy. Uh, this is the silver bullet for the patriarchy. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. If we endeavor to live this out, none need fear the patriarchy uh, on our account. And so the final silver bullet for these problems is found in Ephesians chapter 5 from verses 22, 21 onwards, really, um, to the end of the chapter, which begin with the wives, submit to your own husbands in the Lord, and continues with men, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave his life for her. Happy fatherhood for you, fellows.